0: Views podcast. I'm your host, Greg Popst. Today's guest is David P.A. Mullings. David grew up in Jamaica, always bouncing between Jamaica and Miami. He graduated from University of Miami at the age of 19 and played professional soccer for a year before completing his MBA. David is a very self-reflective and driven entrepreneur who started a media streaming company, worked for Jamaica National Bank, and launched several other companies before starting Blue Moho Capital. Blue Maho focuses on investing in the Caribbean public and private markets, taking a very active role in all the companies in their portfolio. David has spent time learning from his mentor, Michael Lee Chin, a Canadian Jamaican billionaire, and from past failures in business, which he believes drive future success. Hope you enjoy the episode. David, nice to um, have you on the podcast. Nice to meet you. You know, thanks for jumping in today. First question: Did you grow up in Jamaica? I know your background's Jamaican, but what was it like, kind of back then versus today, and and how did that come to be?
1: Well, Greg, thank you for for having me on the Fun Views podcast. Really appreciate you know being on here. I've listened to some of the episodes; so great stuff. And yes, I am Jamaican, born and raised in Jamaica. I really raised between Kingston and Miami. I've been in Miami since the early nineties, around ninety-two. And my mother is a nurse who worked at Jackson Memorial and lived here. So I spent a lot of time back and forth. I did go to high school in Jamaica, finished at 15 years old in fifth form. And that would be grade, grade 11 here. And then went straight to college here in the U.S. So I started college at 15 and graduated from University of Miami at 19. Wow. Uh, but then I, I have an interesting background of going back and forth. So we'll eventually hear that but I've I have... Moved back to Jamaica three times to live and work. <laughs> so and then I've been back in the US now for for eight years, but the Jamaicans don't seem to know that because I'm in Jamaica every month for a week. We, we still have the family house, we still have the car, and so a lot of people think I visit Miami and live in Jamaica. Yeah, uh,
0: I can see that, and it's you're kind of like a, you know two worlds kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Where you're, you're jumping between them and, and uh, culturally they're different, but there's some similarities in a um, lot of Jamaicans.
1: A lot of similarities. And as you know, a lot yeah. of Jamaicans in so Florida is the second largest, you know, cohort of Jamaicans in the U S New York being number one, but I have two closets. There's a running joke with my wife. And whenever I wait for a sale, I like you know Calvin Klein, for example. So I'll wait for a sale and then I buy two of the same shirts at 50% off. And I leave one in Jamaica. So <laughs> so, I have an entire closet in the bedroom where I grew up in Jamaica. So, I don't have to travel with anything. I have suits, ties, yeah. blazers. My, my soccer shoes are down there. So, I, I just fly with my iPad. That's that's pretty much it. That's awesome. Great. Makes it more efficient, right? Oh, I, I'm all about efficiency. <laughs> all about efficiency.
0: Great. So, so you went to um, high school at a young age. You graduated at a young age. And then, you went to University of Miami. And um, I'm sure there's a story there, right? When you know, you're going through college at such a young age. Um, I hear you played soccer as well.
1: Yes. Football? I, yeah, yeah. We call it football. You're Canadian, yeah. so you can say football yeah, yeah. as well, right? We, we actually use our feet to, to kick the ball. Uh, no, I, I grew up playing a lot of sports while going to school. Dad is a medical doctor and taught at the University of Jamaica for you know, 37 years. Mom is a nurse. So I grew up in a science house. So, so in high school, I did geography, biology, chemistry, physics, plus math and Spanish. And always knew I was going to be going to school in in Miami. Dad went to the University of Miami, did his master's in public health there. I we were just so impressed by the campus. When I finished at 15 you know, in high school, dad asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And my answer is, this little nerdy 15-year-old, I want to be a positive role model for young Jamaicans around the world, especially young males (laughs) who need positive role models. And so dad said, okay, that wasn't the answer we were expecting, but uh, we know you, you must have a plan. Uh, What's the plan? And I said, well, I'm pretty simple. We have four options. Number one, I could become a lecturer at university like him and impact people positively. And he said, I'm flattered, Mm -hmm. but the ones who need the most impact are the ones who drop out of high school. So take that off the table. Mm -hmm. Second option was to get into politics and eventually become Prime Minister of Jamaica, uh, attempt that one, and pass different laws and be a better kind of a politician. And uh, Dad mm. thought that might be doable, but he felt I might have to compromise the morals and values we were raised with. Uh, he was the chairman <laughs> of an ethics group in the Caribbean. So we, we put that one to the side. And he said, what's the last two? I said, oh, I could become a star football player and use that for good, uh, convinced I can play. Or I could become an uh, entrepreneur who could then own my own film and music companies that could then influence what people saw and heard about the Caribbean region. And he said, well, those aren't mutually exclusive. And so while going to college, I played for Pembroke Pines Optimist. I got recruited by Western Soccer Club, You know, played with Palm Beach Pumas. And then when I finished college, I was 19 years old, University of Miami. I'd done a bachelor's of science degree. Mine I didn't. Minored in chemistry and religion, majored in biology, and did economics classes. And dad said, well, super young, you need, to, you need to take some time off now. You're 19, you don't need to go back to grad school, get some work experience, pursue your football dream. Do, do you want to go to Europe? Mom said, do you want to go to the UK and stay with some of your family? One of my cousins actually plays in English Premier League right now. And back then he wasn't, but she said, do you want to stay with him and, and make some team in Europe? Or do you want to go back to Jamaica? And Jamaica happened to be having an under 20 competition to lead into the under 21 FIFA World Cup. So, oh, wow. went back, yeah, went back to Jamaica, tried out for Real Mona FC, who I grew up playing with, and ended up making their under 20 team. And they gave me number 10, which is the worst number you can get, right? That's Pelé's number. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was too much pressure, too much pressure. And, and then we, we played a match against a, the professional team, the senior team, and I scored two goals. So they asked me to join the senior team as well. So I got to play some matches in the second division. They got relegated, played in the third division in Jamaica. So, so football and sports have always been part of my life. I played basketball in high school. I swam for my high school team and the prep school team. You know, I played tennis with dad. Dad still beats me in table tennis to this day. I don't know. It's wild.
0: <laughs> it's funny, tennis is one of those things, right? Technique is everything. And it, everything. you know, I never I never played tennis, but uh two of the partners that I work with um they were both like world class tennis players in, in Venezuela growing up and still play today. And you know, wow. I, I see the I see the dedication that goes in and they you know, one of them still plays every single morning.
1: I and, Wow You know. All right, yeah, every morning I don't play. I used to play in a tennis doubles league and i was everywhere yeah. with a close friend of mine. And then I'd play one other day a week with him. The, the, the doubles was, was fun. I, I love that kind of stuff. We, as we yep. get older, we have to remember that our bodies are not the same. It's easy. <laughs> I've learned that I swim. I typically swim every morning, Monday to Friday. I swim about 10 laps. I'm a, I use to swim competitively. I can't help it. I love it. I think it's easier yeah. on our bodies. And then I've started playing more golf. Obviously, we work in finance. I was required when I worked for Hedgewood to literally yeah. go play golf. So that's been fun.
0: Good, good. Uh, great. So so what was next? You uh, you went to um, you know, play football for a few years. Um, you came back to Miami, I, I take it.
1: Yeah, so so I was in Jamaica playing football and you know Earl Jarrett, who was the general manager of Jamaica National at the time, Jane is the largest mortgage provider in the Caribbean. Served on a board with my father, Jamaica Kent Society. So he had known me as I was growing up. And he said, What's David doing? It's like, oh, he's playing football. He's like, what? He, he should come and do some work with this this nonprofit whose board I sit on. It's called BirdLife Jamaica. They need somebody to help them redesign their website and fix their processes relating to their their their, their members. So I mm-hmm. went in. I was like, it happened to be on campus by my dad's office. So I, we would drive to school together to the University of the West. <laughs> University. He was teaching my classmates from high school, so I got to sit in some of the classes. I was just, you know, these people are like, oh, we're in University State, and you already finished, David. This is crazy. And you know, I did. I was told I did such a good job with bird life that then Earl asked me to join Jamaica. Jamaica National, they owned a subsidiary called Jane Microcredit at the time. It was a small business loans company. USAID had provided a significant amount of capital, and he said, "You know, you did a really good job with your analysis and what they built up for them. We need someone to do marketing analysis for us as a consultant this summer, and interview all our top clients across Jamaica, and then." Pitch the board of directors on the next five years, the way forward for the business. But we want it to be done like uh, the way a scientist would do research. And so I love that. So I went in, I got to tour all over Jamaica, places I've never seen, people that I would never normally interact with, informal business owners, some formal, but just not the, not the ones we pay attention, right? These are the, the women coming in and bringing farm produce and selling in the market, incarnation market, for example. And that opened my eyes to the importance of access to finance, but the opportunities that existed, and then the help that they needed to be able to scale. And so yeah. I did that with them, went really well. And while their Earl early, said, hey, you should really consider doing an MBA. And then dad pushed me to do an MBA. He's like, I know you want to do genetic research, but you, you should actually focus on a two-year MBA degree. All the doctors I know are going back to the MBAs. So we applied to a number of MBA programs. I actually got turned down by, by one of them that I was really interested in. Uh, and so this is Wharton School of Business said, you're too young. You know, We know you have one year work experience plus some experience while you're in college, but you're too young, come back a little bit. University of Miami, which obviously I attended, offered me a half tuition scholarship. And my brother was a year younger, so Robert applied at the same time. He had enough work experience, and I wanted to turn it down. I said, hey. This this football thing is really working, you know. I'm I'm scoring. I think I can actually make it. Can I defer my scholarship for one year? And they said, sure, you can defer it. You can just reapply next year. We're pretty sure you'll get the scholarship. And I said, hell no, I'm taking the free money. Let's let's give up this football career. I'll buy a team one day and walk on. So I moved back. I figured, you know, with both of us going to the University of Miami, we could share one car, one you know, one house. We could really reduce costs, and it would help the family. So. You know, yeah. I was fortunate. I'd gotten a scholarship for undergrad at University of Miami as well. So I got a scholarship for undergrad and then a scholarship for the first year of the MBA program and, and came back. Earl Jarrett helped to pick classes. He specifically told me classes that I should take. In his mind, I was going to end up coming back to Jamaica to work with Jamaica National. So, so I came back. That was two years. And that first semester, we launched a business. We had a class where a professor said you have to come up with a business idea and pitch it to the class. We pitched it. One hand went up. And the one hand said, hey, can I invest $10,000? And we were shocked. The teacher like, I think they have something. So we went home to our parents. Uh, and my parents are different. I need to give credit to, to mom and dad, Dr. Anthony Mullings and, and Nurse Dorothy Mullings. Uh, since I was 15, they had me presenting, and my brother, a business plan every summer every Christmas uh, that they could invest $10,000 Right. They would have me the five-year projections. We had to do graphs, and they always said no. But they just wanted us to get used to that public speaking, thinking it through, and I felt business was important, not just the science side of things. But then we we go home and say, "Hey, Dad, this guy this guy wants to write a check for ten thousand dollars. We, we want to take taking in this money for our startup," and he says, "No, you know you, you don't want to take the money from him. You don't know if it's smart money, and I don't know what smart money is at that time." So that explains. It's like you just met him. You don't know if you're aligned in in vision and mission. So. You know, don't take the money. And we're just like, what? When we were going to get the money? And they're like, oh, we'll give you the $10,000. I was like, oh, you actually had $10,000 this whole time you could risk? We didn't know. This. <laughs> and what they said is actually, no, uh, we're not giving you $10,000 up front. We're going to absorb your living costs up to $10,000. And you guys are going to take part-time jobs and all the money you make from the part-time jobs will go into the business. So we stopped paying them rent for their house. They took on the car payment, the car insurance, the health insurance, the cell phone bill, the internet, and we took jobs at a movie theater part-time in, in South Florida, Movico. and it, it was amazing to work there as a supervisor. My brother became a manager, and we worked there usually the weekends, right? Movie theaters are weekends mm-hmm. or nights, and we could go to school in the, in the week, and, and that really gave us this, this bigger love and appreciation for what it took to start a business, but also that's the entertainment side. And the most important thing that led to finance is that uh, someone we call my godbrother, we're like cousins, but you know, Richard Powell Jr. had gone to Harvard, was a year ahead of me in high school at Campion in Jamaica. His dad is my brother's godfather. His father, my dad is his brother's godfather. And he is my son's, my oldest son's godfather. Like we just continue this. He had launched a tech startup when he was at Harvard. He was on the cover of Inc. Magazine at like the age of 19, first Jamaican to be on the cover. And this is just before the dot-com bubble burst. And so we said, hey, Richie, you know this world. We need you to be the chairman of our board. So he joined as a chairman and he wrote a check. He put in 25K to help us get started. But he told me, he said, you know, you have a 99% chance of failing at this startup. It is much easier to raise money to buy a profitably existing business, a private equity deal, than raising money for a startup. So do it. Do random media slash real vibes. Learn from it. Understand how hard it is to scale a business, the management side, the leadership, the finance, the operations, but then leverage that knowledge to buy something in an an industry that you understand. And then he started having me study Warren Buffett. And so every three months, I would actually go and see him in Orlando because that's where he had set up his private equity firm. Got it. Yeah.
0: That's quite the, uh, quite the story and quite the um, uh, background. I mean, it, kudos to your parents for, for making you pitch companies all those years. I,
1: mean, <laughs> I love it was, that. It was fun. I mean, my parents, I was eight years old when mom and dad first put a lavalier mic, I clipped it onto me. This is, this is 1989, right? Put a lavalier yeah. mic and a tape recorder. And then have me reading stuff from whether it's a Martin Luther King speech or a JFK, Michael Manley, or or, or the Bible, because they wanted me to learn how to be a public speaker, and not say ooms and abs, right? And then I, I grew up in church, so I'd have to go certain Sundays on Newt Sunday, read reading one of the one of the lessons. Uh, but they just felt it was just so important. And, and I told them, it's, "It's their fault." That's why I talk so much now. <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
0: So. So after, t- tell me about more about Ransom Media. You ran it for how long, and what you know? Would you build yeah. it to, or
1: what yeah. happened? So, so the idea behind that was we, we felt that you know dancehall music was was blowing up again in the United States. Sean Paul, Beenie all these guys were crossing over. We were on MTV, BET, One Hundred Sun Park. But we couldn't watch these things on the web. This is, this is 2001, 2002. So we wanted to build a company, which was random media, that would look like a vacuum, but focused on Caribbean media, Caribbean entertainment. And the first thing would be building a platform for videos on the web. So you would come on our website and watch the latest Sean Paul music video or Michelle Montano from, from Trinidad, those who yeah. want to talk up. And so my brother and I had to teach ourselves how to how to code. So we taught. He did computer information systems, and he said he's not coding anymore. So I had to teach myself how to code. We learned Photoshop. We bought books. We went online. We had to learn PHP, HTML, and then we had to learn how to edit the videos, how to record the videos, how to be the interviewer. So so I studied AJN, Free, Carson Daly, those people. And my brother said, "Well, I'm bigger. I'm I, and the camera adds fifteen pounds. I'll be the cameraman. You'll be in front of the camera." <laughs> So I became the one that would interview Sean Paul, Shaggy, and, and these people, Wycliffe. And that's, that's what we built. This is 2002, February 1, we launched this website. You know, YouTube doesn't launch with video on the web until 2005. So we're three wow. years before YouTube doing just Caribbean videos. And, and we named it Random Media because I, I was sitting with Dad that Christmas, and I laid out the six things that we needed to do. Originally, it was five, but I'm a nerd, as we said. I'm a science nerd. And I said, well, carbon is the most stable you know, element in, in the universe. So I mean, six protons, six neutrons, six electrons. So I need six things in the business, not five. So we came up with the six things based on what, what MTV has done, what Viacom did. And, and we looked at Virgin as well. And dad said, why so random? And when I explained to him how they connected, he's like, oh, I was like, but well, that's a good name, dad. So we named it Random Media LLC, registered in Florida. And, and then I was like, I need a name for the website, though. And that is like, you know, man, I don't know what to name this website, but I know every time you go to parties, David, you're the real vibes. You're on top of the speakers, you dance, all the place, you're the real vibes. It's like, oh, that's the name, that's the name. And so we bought Real Vibes. That's awesome. And, and that's how it started. You know, we, we got to sponsor Reggae Songfest, the largest multi-day festival in the world. We went, we went on tour with Sean Paul. Yeah, we in the studio and Elephant Man is writing his hit, Ponder Upon the Bank. So it, it was fun to see that and see the importance of the creative industries out of the Caribbean. You think of Jamaica, and one of the things you are got to think about is music. You, you can't help it. Yeah. We, that is a major ambassador for us. We just haven't seen much proper investment in the creative industry. So.
0: It's funny you see that even today. I mean, you see the influence in Drake's. Drake's like a <laughs> huge you know, exactly. Caribbean man.
1: <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and, and, and that's what happens when you grow up in Toronto. Like, you're in Canada, so yeah. you know how much... The Jamaican culture has influenced T dot on the way these guys talk, the way they dress, yep. yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. That and, you know, guys like uh, Popkin, he's on... Yeah,
1: Popkin, he does- he's, he's on Billboard today. He just got yeah. like... Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: I listened to it this morning. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah,
1: this the, yeah. look at this guy. Look at this guy. No, yeah. we, we're bringing it to Jamaica, Greg. You're definitely a Miami guy. He loves <laughs> all of Jamaica in Miami.
0: Absolutely. It. Actually, you, you know what's funny is that, you know, I've, I've learned everything, almost everything I know about the Caribbean, I've learned through, uh, you know, my best friend in Miami who grew up in Trinidad. Oh, and, nice. uh he just he, he's taught me and and yet I haven't visited yet. So <laughs> oh
1: well we will fix that. we will fix that.
0: Yeah yeah. So um so what what's next actually on you know random media? Did you wrap it up at a certain point? Obviously YouTube kind of came in and became this big phenomenon. And- yeah man it,
1: it it was it was a great lesson. So with random media, what happened was that we started branching out into into other areas and what i did was simply i said yes to every opportunity so that was the first mistake as an entrepreneur we had limited capital limited time we saw all these opportunities come in and we felt we had to jump on them otherwise we would miss out uh, that was stupid right but first time founders that's that's what we tend to do so we stretched ourselves thin and we ended up actually doing a, a deal with jamaica national right i had worked with them in the past i approached them and said hey the majority of your clients are going to die in the next 30 years and you're not doing anything to appeal to young people. Real vibes can get it to young people. Sponsor our summer of events. Uh, and so they did, you know, this is one and a half million Jamaican dollar sponsorship for, for three months, which Nat thought it was crazy. He's like, You're going to go to a bank that was founded in, in the back of a church 120 years ago and you want them to give you money to the parties. and so when I went in and showed her the picture I was like hey here's what we can do for your NSI your net savings intake you're not doing any digital marketing we know this and they gave us half the money they gave us a check we had to create a Jamaican subsidiary we we booked out an entire Air Jamaica flight we had Air Jamaica create a special trip from the end of May until early August because we wanted to, to fit in with this thing called ATI weekend big weekend in Jamaica this is usually emancipation or independence weekend five days of parties i mean just day and night insane we were a sponsor it started in miami these guys that did stages absolute entertainment so we said okay you're going to fly from miami land in jamaica we're going to have a drinks inclusive party on friday night we're going to have a pool party on saturday a boat ride to lime key on sunday and then you're getting access to the party at the end of the the summer and we'll do some events in between we actually booked out a, a miniature Golf Place in Kingston every Tuesday for six weeks in a row. And we gave away tickets for parties. We got a beer sponsor. We had different DJs. It was wild. Uh, So we booked an Air Jamaica flight. Literally, the pilot said, Welcome to Air Real Vibes. And they they played Elephant. We had a CD that was done by a sound called Copper Shot. They played it on the plane. And we're all dancing down the aisle of the plane. This was crazy. It went so well that summer that the, the following January, I was in Jamaica, January 3rd. Earl Jared called me into a meeting and said, hey, so as of today, you work for Jamaica National. You can still run random media. Your brother's going to have to handle that. We'll allow you to fly up to, you know, to Miami every Thursday to Tuesday once a month. But you're now in charge of youth marketing us, and you're on the product development team. And I didn't know how much I was charging that. He's like, by the way, you get a car. And so, of course, as, as a young guy, I'm like, <laughs> OK, wow, I get a car, I get all these allowances. But if I'm in charge of youth marketing, I saw a Subaru WRX out in the parking lot. Is that owned by the company? He says, yes. I was like, okay, and you own the insurance company too. Yes. Okay, that's the car that I want. <laughs> and, and that's what I got. I got the WRX as my company that's car. Awesome. Because I was like, I need to be useful. Let's go. Yeah. But working at Jamaica National taught me so much about you know, dealing with retail investors, not just accredited investors. What's the power of that? I got to see all the subsidiaries that they had in in the insurance space, the fund management space, And the small business loans, helping to work with them on designing investment products, savings products, mortgage products. Uh, They they have a, they compete with Western Union and the money transfer side. So, seeing the numbers and remittances and how that was growing, we have a massive Jamaican population around the world, but especially the US, Canada, UK, sending back 2.2 billion US dollars a year. And I, I was fascinated with that. So, I worked there for a year and a half. And then as I think like, things taken off again with, with, with Real Vibes. I need to come back up. So this was 2007, mid-2007. I came back to the U.S. I consulted with Jane from here, and then we signed a deal with YouTube in 2008. It became YouTube's first private media partner. In 2008, we partnered with another firm called iBeam. We did a deal with MTV. So MTV's Flux powered the website. They could log in to us, into us, to Real Vibes and MTV, with the same username, password, everything would transfer and, and it just kept scaling. We, we were on Telemundo, Mundo's, their second show. Oh, yeah. on Fridays had a show called The Roof. Fridays was, was reggae Fridays. So we would be on The Roof showing the latest dances from Jamaica. We were with DJ GQ, Sean Paul, Beanie Man, Evie Queen, Don Omar. We saw reggaeton explode. So it was so yeah. much fun. But again, the advertisers just didn't understand how to make money, how to, how to put ads. And we had to make money from placing ads with video. And bandwidth back then used to cost a ridiculous amount of money. So we ended up going over bandwidth a few times. Actually, I went over bandwidth because we got to be extras in the Too Fast, Too Furious movie here in Miami. John Singleton invited us, RIP John and Paul. Uh, Paul Walker was amazing. Ludacris was amazing. And they allowed us to take photos before anybody else and post them online. And this website, IGN.com, wrote an article, put up three pictures, and then sent everybody to Real Vibes. And we were thinking, great. These people are going to watch our videos now. This is going to be awesome. We're going to be able to raise VC money. Uh, and then we didn't get any VC money, but everybody did watch the videos. And it caused a We tried to the website. We had to call them and say, plug out the server. You're costing us tens of thousands of dollars. This is too much. Uh, and, and rethink what we're doing. So, so Real Vibes is back. I can tell you that, no, we've we brought it back. The entity has, has stayed alive. We created Real Vibes Studios in Jamaica to do original films and content. We are now, my brother and I own that with two partners. We're the majority shareholders. We are transferring those assets to what's going to be called Bloomer Ho Studios. And we hired Carol Beckford in Jamaica to be in charge of sports and entertainment. You know, Carol represented uh, the PR for Usain Bolt for four years. She was Jamaica's film commissioner and she was a marketing director for West Indies Cricket. So uh, she has some surprise projects she's working on. But we, we we have made a commitment to to shoot some original content, film-related content, in Jamaica, obviously in discussions with the streaming companies here. But we have specific industries at Blumahoe Capital we're interested in, and we would prefer to invest in profitable existing businesses in certain industries. Unfortunately, none of those exist in the way we'd want to see them in the Caribbean, in the creative industry space and the sports space. So we're willing to spin up those entities based on our past experience. So Real Vibes itself. Is going to focus only on entertainment. And uh, we're launching Real Vibes Merchandising LLC, our merchandise company. Uh, we did a test run a few years ago with, with TOK. Uh, and so we, we're doing a deal now uh, with, I can tell you, we well, did a deal with a Grammy winning artist. That's what I can tell you. Uh, yeah. in, a, in a joint venture with them, bringing back Real Vibes, launching the merch, partnering with a Miami based company whose advisory board that I sit on that has been around for 20 years, a streetwear company. So we're super excited to bring. Capital into a space, a creative industry that traditionally doesn't see a private equity firm getting involved yeah. or, or, or that kind of capital. But we're comfortable. We've known these people since 2002. We, we've built the sites. We've done, you know, now it's even easier, right? Shopify, Stripe, you know, Amazon, yeah. eBay, digital marketing. So, so we love that. But Blue Moho Capital benefits from every single business relationship, every mistake, every success. In the past, and, and even with Jamaica National, we use Jane Fund Managers to do all of our public equities trades in Jamaica. Right? Every single stock we purchase on the Jamaica Stock Exchange goes through them, and mainly for one reason: if I have a problem, I don't have to call the head of Jane Fund Managers. I can call Earl Jarrett, the head of the parent Company. Nobody going to yeah. mess up my orders.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Do you think that's part of it? I mean, given your experience with um, with Random media and like trying to get VC capital. Do you think that's part of the issue? Is like you know, you're trying to, you know, for other groups and other young yeah. professionals, people with ideas trying to get access to capital in Jamaica, is seems kind of difficult, right?
1: Yeah, it, it is. It is a big issue, and it's an issue here in the US, right? We, we have to admit that you know, less than <clears 3%> three percent of venture capital goes to people who look like me right? to underrepresented yeah. founders to female founders, uh, and part of that is an access problem, they, they're not necessarily going to University of Miami like I went. Right? That's a private university, fairly wealthy people go there. So I have an amazing network. I was able to raise, when we, when we did Keystone, I raised $770,000 from friends and family. You know, Blue capital to start. We raised $250,000 from friends and family. Most black and brown founders, Latinx founders, can't do that. The network doesn't have that. So uh, we need to find a way to support that. I don't think venture capital is the right way. I think too many people have been obsessed with, with TechCrunch and they all want to be tech founders. It's like, guys, you need a little bit more work experience. You need founder market fit. So uh, do you have experience in that industry? Uh, do you understand what it takes to be a CEO? Right? Too many people want to be a CEO, but they don't want to be coachable. They don't want to do what CEOs have to do. So this is leadership and capital allocation. They don't understand management because they've never held on a real job and had to do that go through that reporting structure. Uh, so so there's an issue there. But we have access, What well, we need people to give a, a chance. I prefer the private equity route. I would prefer that we put growth capital in and, and do what Blackstone does with their, their BXG, Blackstone growth, which is why we have Bloomer Hole Capital, right? We have Bloomer Hole growth within it, our unit that specifically partners with. Those underrepresented founders in the US and the Caribbean. We I mean, recently I did a deal with Fund Black Founders that we're announcing now. I spent six months coaching her, working close with her, helping her with her term sheet, her pitch deck, her business model, walking through the eighteen months of you know how this is. I mean, Greg, you you see the yeah. numbers. It's like, hey, no, you're going to need some additional people. Let's run these numbers. When do you run out of capital? We need more of that. But at the same time, I've been hearing this one that you know. Black founders, minority founders tend to be over-mentored and underfunded. So we want to solve for both. Let's provide the mentorship, provide access to more people. I, I'm mentored by Michael Leachin. I've known Mike for seven years. Mm-hmm. This is one of 13 black billionaires in the world. I want, that, I want to pass on what I'm learning from him. So that's the mentorship side and then access. If I can't get to them, Mike can get to them, period. Just who you want to get to, let's open the door and get you in the room. But then you need funding. And you need funding that's not going to take 80% of your business or 50% of your business. It might not be yeah. 20. We might come in and say, hey, we're coming in as a partner at 40%. We're going to put in some cash and you have access to our team. So with Fund Black Founders, for example, we said, hey, we can help you. We can put in a small check. We can help you raise your own. We will handle the term sheet. Our investor relations specialist will handle the calls and the tracking and dealing with that. Because as you know, raising money is a full-time job. But then here's our marketing person who, can, who you can use for your digital marketing strategy. Here's our operations person who allowed us to do remote work. So she already knows. Here is Slack integrated with Google, integrated with Salesforce. We already have this covered. You don't have to stress. So there, there's a second company we're doing under the, the Blue Moho growth side, which actually falls under our impact fund. It's based in New York, founded by a Jamaican. And we, we, have, we had them change the name. We said, well, that's a cool name, but that's too Jamaican. Uh, People can't spell it. When you say it, we're going to change the name. We help them identify the new name. You need to work on an IP, right? You need to file your trademarks, give feedback on the logo design. What's her problem? Oh, we have the platform now. It's in Jamaica. It's in St. Lucia. We only have one insurance company, though. We need more insurance companies. And I said, okay, well, I can make a phone call and call the head of Jane General Insurance because I used to work with them. I can get you them. Oh, and I have this other guy who is a mentor to me in Jamaica. He's 40% owner of this other insurance company. I can get you that meeting. And she's like, Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Thank you so much. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten that access. So we need to be available to give people access. And then I, I think VC is actually not the right way. I think VC doesn't do as much hand holding. Mm-hmm. And and we we need to give these people the hand holding in most cases.
0: Great. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a very different perspective, right? Like you you want to find the the entrepreneurs and by definition, right? If if it's an existing company, you know, it's, you already, you already know that person that has that mindset yeah. and then you can yeah. build on that, you know, provide capital and everything exactly. else.
1: That, that entrepreneurial mindset. So uh, yes, yeah. I, I love Warren Buffett, but Warren Buffett traditionally wouldn't be startups. He did invest in the Snowflake IPO no? So I don't know if Warren was the one who pulled the trigger yeah. on that. But I, I, I believe that that was a different time. So if, if we could take Warren Buffett's investing ethos a, a few companies, and we have both public and private in the portfolio, management we know and trust, domicile in strong long-term growth industries, with coachable founders, can we be a catalyst in the companies we invest in, both private and public? If we can't be a catalyst and we don't see somebody else being able to be a catalyst, we won't put money in. I, I don't care how great it is. We want to add value. Whenever we write a check or if you just sit down with me, you listen to this podcast, I want to add value to your life in some way. And we don't want to tell you how to run the business. I want you to pick up the phone and call me and say, David, I need help with this or I need to get to this person. Okay, my job. We go and get that done. Let's open doors for you. Or as one of the biggest ones, I think that I've seen in the Caribbean, unfortunately, with investors down there, is that they expect to invest in this early stage company and then it's going to be profitable right away. It's going to be paying them dividends within 12 months and it's going to just go up and to the right. It's like, yeah. did you ever start a company? Are you inherited <laughs> that your dad's company clearly because that's not how it works. This is going to be up and down all over the place. And we need to make sure that the mental health component of entrepreneurship is talked about. Right? So whenever I check in with my founders who we, we advise, the first question is, how are you doing? And this, this happened because Michael Leachin would do this to me. When, when Mike and I were doing a cover shoot, cover shoot last year for, for JamaQ Parties Magazine, Mike asked me, how are you doing, David? And I started talking about business. He said, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't ask how the business is doing. How are you doing? And he, known, he, he knew I had done major surgery last February. I to a life-saving surgery, so I was still recovering. And I was able to just be me and just talk about here's what's happening. And then Mike gave some advice. And it just was genuine. I make a point to do that with all our founders in that. How are you doing today? Why are you not smiling in this meeting? What just happened? Oh, your yeah, dad is sick or has to go under surgery or got diagnosed with cancer. It's like, oh, let's let's process that because that stuff comes to work, right? What happens at home comes to work. What happens at work comes back home. Now in COVID, I, I feel like there's no distinction. It's all one thing. But we need to be mindful of that and, and give these entrepreneurs space to fail. Right? My investors. Who, who invested with me in, in a previous deal. We, we lost, we failed. We did a private equity deal. We bought the company. We did amazing due diligence. Uh, but the founder hid something from us that came back and bit us. Uh, they're not running me down. They understood that, hey, we've been here for 10 years. They got equity, right? The, the ones who stayed and were, were nice people, had empathy, mm-hmm. got equity in blew Hall capital. And they get to benefit from an insane return now that we, <laughs> we we've priced our shares here. But I think that's important, and I, and I, I just don't want to be the kind of investor is, who is who is mean to people. You need to be understanding, which means you need to have founder experience as well, not just a number crunching financial experience
0: makes sense so going back to that, if you don't mind me asking what happened at, at Keystone and, yeah. and uh...
1: yeah man good story so so for me, Keystone is like Bill Ackman's Gotham partner <laughs> that's, that's always the way I look at it so so richie Richie powell who who had been our chairman for Real Vibes. He was the one who ran out a private equity firm called AP Capital Partners in Orlando with his partner. And they had an exit. They had bought a company for $15 million, grew it from $65 million in revenue to $1.1 billion US dollars in revenue before he was 35 years old. And they sold the company for $200 million. And he called and said, like, hey, David, we had a liquidity event. Uh, you need to move from Jamaica and come back. You come into Orlando. Uh, we have a, a football team, golf lessons, and an apartment for you. And you can walk to the office from the apartment. So I turned to my <laughs> wife, who is Jamaican as well. I said, hey, Catherine, uh, Richie just called. And he wants me to move up. Here's the stuff. She's like, is Richie? I said, yep. She's all right. We're going. And I turned into 2 weeks, <laughs> And Jamaica National said, hey, it's nice. You need to give four weeks' notice. I was like, cool. backdated by two weeks because I, like, I booked the plane ticket already. Bye. And I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what Rich's deal was, he said, come and work with me inside RMP Group. He created one to the smaller middle market, lower middle market private equity deals in, in the Southeast USA. And we mainly would look at Georgia and Florida. And the idea was to leverage minority business enterprise certification so we could fill that diversity gap that was missing. Yeah. And he said, give me two years, work with me on deals. you are going to be doing SIMs, right? Company information memorandums. You're going to be doing term sheets, due diligence. Learn the ropes with me, shadow me, and in two years, I will write a check to stake you for your investment firm to do what you want. And so at that time, I really wanted to do the stuff in Jamaica. Uh, and Richie's idea was why, why do you want to be a big fish in a small pond when you could become a medium sized fish in a much larger pond? Companies doing 5 million, 15 million in revenue that you could buy. And so I said, hey, that makes sense. We can apply you know, Warren Buffett to this stuff, and he said, and focus on the industries you know. So creative industries, mobile apps, right? We, I, I used to code. I did you know Xcode, and we launched the first Real Vibes app. We did an app in the iPhone store, and my brother and I built that. So let's buy mobile app development companies. So we, we decided to, to raise capital into a company. We created an LLC as a management entity, and then we created a C-Corp to raise capital into it from the Caribbean and the United States, we raised 770000 U.S., mainly from Barbados, about 350000 which was super easy. Like We flew in Tuesday, did the meetings on, on Wednesday. Well, did the meetings, flew in Tuesday, went for drinks, played tennis on Wednesday, did some <laughs> meetings on Thursday, and by Monday they started wiring money. Versus in Jamaica, we barely raised anything. It took us six months. And they just didn't get it. Right? Barbados was just so much more advanced. They got it quickly. And then we, we bought a mobile app company. We, we made a down payment. We bought an app firm that was you know, supposed to be doing 500,000 revenue, smaller deal than we wanted. But the founder know, the, the actually hid information, like deleted information from the server about a, a client that, that they had who they didn't complete work for. So after we buy it and it now shows up in the newspapers, uh, you know, Jamaican-owned firm buys mobile app company, plans a list on stock exchange in Jamaica, and we're going to hire staff in Jamaica now. We're going to near shore. Mm-hmm. So don't go to India to build apps. Don't go to the Ukraine. You can come to Jamaica, same time zone, third largest English-speaking you know, country in the Western Hemisphere. You already know it for for coming down for tourists, but you can do business there. And, and we have call centers there. Come work with us. We, we get a, 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 you know, a letter in the mail. or It goes to our lawyers, actually. And yeah. the lawyer says, hey, David, these guys are threatening to sue you. Uh, they want, you know, $250,000. They didn't get back their money. They haven't got the code. Just drama. I've never been so upset because we sat with these guys before we wired that money. And we said, hey, this is money from our godfather, my parents, our money, our cousins. They can't do this. You know, Richard himself had put in hundred k to start a year and yeah. a half working at, at r and And he says, hey, what would you do with $100,000? So I called my brother. And that was the idea we came up with. And, and then you know, two weeks later, he wired the first 50K and said, you're hey, working out of my office. You don't need to expand the costs. Start. And we started that. six Eight months later, we started bringing on some other people to help us. Some of them didn't work out. Some worked out. But it was a really good lesson because I had set up the structure where the board could get to vote, right? Five of us on the board. Only two of us had private equity experience. But the board got to decide what deals we would do. And we were supposed to do nothing below $2 million in EBITDA. And we did a smaller deal. I, I voted against it. You know, Richie voted against it. The rest of the board voted to get it done. And even though I was a majority shareholder, because of the way I set up the bylaws, I was forced to do the deal. So that was a really good lesson about how to structure investment committees. Who you have on the investment committee? The board is not the investment committee. You know, so corporate governance, really, essentially. Corporate governance is something that we don't talk about enough, right? When mm-hmm. I was on Bloomberg, I love that question because. Yeah, you know, so many people are like, oh wow, David, we love their video on Bloomberg. It talked about Jamaica being the next Singapore. I was like, that's the most important thing you got from it. They said yes. I was like, that's not the most important question they asked. The most important question they asked was, David, what do you feel about corporate governance for these public listed companies in the Caribbean? That is what investors care about. Serious investors care about corporate governance. So even at the private level, we've been doing the same thing with Bloomah Capital Partners to ensure that The shareholders we have now feel comfortable with that, and and we do intend to go public. Right, we intend to list on the NASDAQ capital market within six months. So, uh, we've been really working on corporate governance, and then we're going to add compliance pretty soon. But it's it's been a journey. do
0: you think that um, you know the investors focus on corporate governance specifically? Probably more importantly in in Jamaica and Latin American and and uh, Caribbean con- countries is is it is it more trust built? I, I you know from what I know working with Latin Americans and and Americans and Canadians and everyone else oh. is that there's different levels of due diligence, right? There's like there's like the due <laughs> diligence of like you know you do a background check or you you know do something like that, but then when it comes to Developing countries and emerging economies around the world. The due mm. diligence is really: who do you know? Who have you done business with? Um, have you screwed anyone over that I know? That and, I know. Did <laughs>
1: yeah. you go to high school with anybody I know? I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It is a different kind of due diligence. I can't run the same kind of background check in Jamaica or Barbados or Trinidad that I can run in the United States. Yeah. So, so we take two approaches. One. We, we don't do business with anybody in the Caribbean without talking to a firm here in the U.S. We have someone here who, who can let us know if there's any potential issues on the U.S. side, red flags, because obviously the U.S. is monitoring things. So yeah. that's one. But more importantly, we, we have to go to the area, we have to talk, we get references. We are we follow up on those references, and not just three. Uh, we tend to have them sit with somebody else who we know down there, who, and, and and then that person reports back to us with a very genuine Candid, hey, you need to tell us what was the vibe. Do you know anybody that's done business with them? What's their backstory? They left out something. There's a gap, but it, it very much comes down to who do you know and who have you done business with that I know. And then yeah. the last one will be: Did you go to school, or, or are you related to somebody that I know? We need to. Yeah, it's, it's small islands, so it's it's fun to me to get the real story about people and, and things they might leave out. I think that we, in the Caribbean in particular, we are raised to not talk about failure. right? Mm-hmm. We, we really try to be perfect in a way, and, and we look down on failure. So whereas Elon Musk would have had failed companies, Richard Branson has failed companies, Microsoft, right? That's his second company. Bill Gates failed. Yeah. That's our first. We don't look at that as a good thing. Failure is a stepping stone, in my opinion. It makes you better the next time, and I never forgot when I met an angel investor in Miami. Who we wanted to invest in, in real vibes, and we said, "Yeah, two hundred and fifty k gets us here." And he says, "How many companies have you founded before and failed?" At? I said, "None. This is our first one." He's like, "Oh, oh, well, I can't write here. Check then. I was like, "What? I, no, didn't you like the idea? You think we can do this?" He's like, "Oh, yeah. I, you can't. I think you can do all of this, but this is your first company, so that means you're going to fail at this one, and you're going to lose my money after you fail. Come <laughs> back to me for the next business." <laughs> That's the complete opposite in Jamaica and the rest of the Caribbean. They don't want you to fail. And if you fail, it's like they want to string you up and, and hang you. So uh, we need to change our mentality down there. And, and that is why we don't have as many early stage startups coming out of the Caribbean because the, the, the investor base is not willing to take that risk with that failure. So, so hopefully, Blue Capital can play a role in shifting that with, with our impact fund that we're launching now uh, and send that message that, hey, We need to take some risk and allow these founders a chance to fail, a chance to pivot. I I love bringing up the fact that so many Jamaicans are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Hey, guess what, guys? He didn't know Facebook was going to be this big. It was focused on college, starting with Harvard. But Twitter is from a failure. Oh, they failed, and he pivoted, and they ended up doing Twitter. Instagram is a failure. It came from Bourbon, and they took one feature and then built Instagram. I don't think you could have launched that in the Caribbean. No Caribbean entrepreneur would have been allowed to fail and pivot because their investors would just string them up and be upset. We need to change that mentality.
0: Great. So so what do you think of um, the future of the Caribbean, the future of Jamaica? You know, Obviously, it's performed extremely well in the past five years, in the past year and you know... Uh, there's all this, um, you know, a lot of different countries down there with different regimes and different mm-hmm. governments and everything else. Um, where would you, where are you looking to invest or where Where would you put your money outside of, you know, Jamaica is one thing, but
1: the other countries as well. Right. So I'm glad you bring that up because so many, the Jamaicans especially love that I talk about Jamaica and I keep reminding them that we're focused on the <laughs> Caribbean and there are advantages other countries have that Jamaica doesn't have. So, so we, We've, we've organized a deal already in Barbados. So obviously we own some public equities in Jamaica. Our entire public equities portfolio is, is Jamaican yeah. entities, L- Jamaican listed entities, I should say. Most yeah. headquartered in Jamaica, some in St. Lucia. We have private equities. The private deals so far are in, in Jamaica, but we are, we've are we agreed to seed an early stage fund in Barbados that will cover entities in the, in the Eastern Caribbean, 50K checks for each of them, and then they'll work with an accelerator. So we, we're excited for that. So that won't just be Barbados. And then we have a private deal as well that we're looking at in Grenada, interested. Oh, wow. so, so yeah, a Grenada deal, and then we've now been approached with three deals in Guyana. Everybody is now looking at Guyana is on the radar. Even with COVID, they expect fifty-four percent GDP growth in one year. That, that, that's insane. That's yeah. a revised down fifty-four percent. That oil yeah. is going to open up big doors. We, we want to. We we obviously worried about that resource curse with oil. You've seen what's happened in nigeria Trinidad to some extent we aren't looking at Trinidad right now we think that they're going through a lot of financial turbulence right now barbados has just gone through something that jamaica went through having an mf deal and if you had invested in jamaica right when that mf deal was done that's that was the start of uh, that stock market taking off so we think barbados is a really good one to dive into we have strong contacts there Cayman is an area that we're looking at. From a real estate standpoint, there's huge opportunities in Cayman. Mm-hmm. Cayman, is, Cayman is a developed country. Right? Cayman and Barbados are two developed economies in the Caribbean. They're super resilient. They weren't crazy dependent on tourism. Uh, so that's going to create some opportunities there. I mean, we, We've had some people trying to get us to look at Belize. Uh, when you think about agriculture, uh, we think about you know, supply chain disruption, we we just did a deal here. We have a property fund we don't talk about, but we we can talk about it. No, we just launched it. And we were asked by some pension funds in Jamaica to create a U.S. property fund to give them access to U.S. properties. Great time to know, grab stuff on discount. And we knew how to do the structures. We partnered with some family offices. This was a $10 million deal, $4 million in, in equity. So we participated with a minimum investment into that. And this is in the cold storage space. Which makes sense. We're all at home ordering stuff. That stuff needs to be stored somewhere, the flowers that come in from Latin America. But as you know, Miami is, you know, more than two-thirds of all the fresh fruits and vegetables imported into the United States comes through Miami. So, uh, but I didn't know that. More yeah, more than two-thirds of all the fresh fruits and vegetables in the United States comes through Miami to the Port of Miami but only about 3% of the industrial storage space in the United States is cool slash cold storage, and is about 40 years old on average. So uh, this is a deal near near the airport, and, and they're building this. Uh, so we happily participated in that one, and we, we're going to scale that up and eventually actually list that property fund entity uh, in Jamaica. That That is what we've been asked to do with these pension fund partners and, and investment banks. So we're super excited about that opportunity. We're, we're not just bringing money from the – the US into the Caribbean, or well, we're bringing some, some patient capital in the Caribbean to come to the US to get some, some better yields, diversify their portfolios, which we know yeah. these pension funds typically have just bought government bonds and then sat on their hands. Well, interest rates have collapsed around the world. But you know, w- one of the biggest things we believe is, is COVID you know, finally proved that some of these islands, Jamaica included in particular, were too dependent on tourism. Uh, We went from an economy that was so focused on bananas, right, in Jamaica the 1940s, and sugar. Jamaica at one point in the 40s exported 40% of all the world's sugar, Jamaica. So we went from sugar to banana to bauxite to then tourism. We, we We didn't diversify. We just swapped one for the other one. And too many people have not been paying attention to expand manufacturing, invest in the creative industries, uh, less modernize agriculture. No, they, they were just stuck busy doing essentially the lazy stuff. Uh, COVID has woken us up to the need for digital transformation. The fourth industrial revolution is, is here. So we see ICT as a huge opportunity, FinTech across the Caribbean, if, if you have payment problems, in Jamaica, Barbados, and you solve them there. It's the same problem in Colombia, right? Colombia has two cities at least that are larger than Jamaica, population-wise. So why are you focusing on this tiny market? Go after Latin America. If you can solve it in Latin America as well, then you can go over to Africa, which is the new frontier. Yeah. We can go into yeah. Rwanda, Ghana. And guess what? In Jamaica and, and Ghana, Jamaica, Nigeria, you look at the, the, the similar cultures. There are some Jamaican companies doing business over there. You look at the, the transfer of, of music and what Afrobeats is doing now. So they know our yeah. culture, they know our people. And I'm glad to see Nigeria is launching a direct flight to Jamaica in late December. We're going to now have a oh, wow. weekly direct flight between Jamaica and Nigeria. That is going to be big, big.
0: Great. So um, so what else? What, I mean, you, you spoke a lot about Moho Capital, what's, what you're working on. What's, um, what's the next big step for you? and and your firm
1: so so the big step we're wrapping up a private placement right now i'm not allowed to say how much money we're raising we have to wait for sec filing yeah. but we, we work very closely with the investment bank since june i was, I was surprised at, at the price that they came up with the shares based on enterprise value per share for the planned deals but it's, it's been great so yeah, we're wrapping up the private placement i'll be back in miami a lot We'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm going to be a lot closer to the University of Miami, my alma mater, based on some announcements they'll make. I'm going to be featured in their alumni magazine in in November. Uh, This is the second time I'm being featured, so this is going to be fun to to talk about what we're doing. And the the next big thing is to then start working on our our IPO, uh, the investment bank, Uh, and we've been approached by two others to, to actually take it public within six months. That was always a plan. The reason Bloomer Hall Capital exists is, is pretty simple. We have millions of Caribbean Americans, and then outside we have Caribbean diaspora, who want to invest back into the Caribbean, Jamaica in particular, but it's ridiculously hard to open an account down there. It's not like the U.S. Yeah. Uh, these people haven't traveled back as often. They haven't paid attention. You shouldn't really be managing your own portfolio. I think you can agree with me on that one. And so we needed a vehicle That was under U.S. securities law, was transparent, was going to be vetted. People can know that it's being audited, that could buy into those public and private equities across the region and and build that portfolio. The problem, though, is that we needed that the person with $100 could buy, not just the person with $100,000. So it couldn't just be focused on the high net worth individuals, the family offices, the institution investors. We want regular man on the street, woman on the street to purchase and that limited us to mutual funds, ETFs, and then being a listed entity similar to Berkshire. Mutual mm-hmm. funds are not tax efficient, so I, I don't like them. ETFs could work, but ETFs are a bit harder for us to buy into a private company. Uh, but there's a simple rule. You're, you're limited to uh, companies for foreign securities. The companies have to have a market cap of a minimum of 100 million U.S. dollars. <laughs> we, just, we just erased the majority of the stock market in Jamaica. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and treated that or So So... We said, yeah, Berkshire is a model. I, I will create a Berkshire Hathaway. So Bloomer Hall Capital is a Delaware C Corp. We raise money onto our balance sheet. We will manage two funds. So we have a property fund that we manage as an asset manager, similar to Blackstone. And then we have the impact fund that we manage. And we're excited for some of the deals coming out with that impact fund. It can invest in the U.S. and the Caribbean. We're going to be doing an affordable housing deal here in the U.S. with Devon George, right? Three, three-time NBA champion from the Lakers, and the advantage that I feel that we have is that I look like these people. I have the same yeah. experience. I can relate to their culture. So we, we have some, you know, for us to go and do a deal with Sean Paul or Walsh Fire, Guess what? They, they feel more comfortable doing business with us. They've known us for a while and they trust us. But if, if we can help to shrink that racial wealth gap, I'd be really mm-hmm. happy. I think financial wellness is, is a part that's been left out. The, the literacy is a problem. It's a big problem. It's not just access. Yeah. If I you know, if I write you a check for hundred thousand dollars today, most people are going to lose it. That's that's why they win the lottery and they, they go broke in five years. Or you finish from the NFL, retire and you're broke in five years. I was just years. gonna
0: say sport sports is like huge in that. I mean we yeah,
1: we need to work on that financial literacy part, not just the access part. So we want everything we do, we'll combine those two things, but you know. I like the term diverse check writer, DCW. We want to be one of the largest diverse check writers in the United States and in the Caribbean and help to show people that, you know, the, the region is much more than just sun, sea, and sand. There's far yeah. more to the Caribbean. But everybody would love to come down and do a business meeting in Jamaica or Barbados. Of course.
0: Of course. <laughs> so last, last question before I let you go. If you had to give any bit of advice to... Um, someone that you know like you is minority but you know young and they're trying to build a company they already started a company you know we'll get past that but mm. they're trying to build and scale up what what would you what would be your advice to them
1: so so two things and it's advice I get from Michael Leach. and I I trust Mike right he he is a billionaire yeah. we get to talk every week the number one is that he says you need to have a purpose, right? That, that purpose will get you out of bed every day, and it will allow you to get through those dips, right? Purpose gives you passion. So that's number one. Make sure you're not doing it because you just want to get rich. You need to be doing this to solve a problem and add value for somebody. So that's number one, find a purpose. But number two and most important, he would say you, you need to find a role model, get the recipe, and then don't change the recipe. You can only change the recipe if you exceed the role model. Mike's role model is Burke, is, is Burke Hathaway and Warren Buffett. And Mike is my role model. And I'm nowhere near close to exceeding that.
0: <laughs> I was going to say you got, you got big shoes to
1: fill. <laughs> big shoes to fill. So uh, we're both born in January. Actually, we born January 30 years apart. He's 1951. I'm 81. So we joke about that. But you know, it, if I can come one, one thousandth of, of what he's done in the way he's impacted people, not just the wealth creation, but just the positive impact he's had in Canada and in, in the Caribbean, then, then I would have lived a really good life. But yeah, passion gives you, and that purpose will give you uh, that passion. And then you need to find that role model and get the recipe. And, and the, the best investors write about this stuff. Right? You can go and read Steve Schwarzman's book, What It Takes, or read King of Capital. Uh, these things exist. Read The Snowball Effect about Warren Buffett. Read Ray Dalio's principles. You know, read, watch every interview with Bill Ackman. This stuff is there. Go and get that knowledge. But pick one. You can't be everybody. Don't don't pick five different strategies and try to do all five. Pick one, apply it to your niche, and, and then be coachable. That's the last thing, right? If, if you're not willing to learn, then you're not going to get very far in life. And and what they're going to do is blame everybody else. when, In fact, it's like a sport. If if you wanted to get good at football, you didn't kick the ball once. And to learn to kick the ball, I'd have a coach help me to point out what I was doing wrong, what I was doing right. But most importantly, I needed a role model. Right? My role model for football was Thierry Henry. So I studied the way he played, the way he positioned himself, and ended up playing like him. Pick one and then practice over time and a and diligent practice. Right? Don't, don't practice the wrong thing. When I was swimming, my swimming teacher in Jamaica used to always say that practice makes perfect. So if you practice the wrong thing, you perfect the wrong thing. Diligent practice sense. is what matters. I was like, "Oh, geez, This is, my mind is blown." That makes so much sense. <laughs> practice the right thing; it's not the wrong yeah. thing. And and then don't give up. Persevere. And I joke that my name is David P. A. Mullins, Patrick Alexander, but the P is really for perseverance.
0: Great, great. Well, thanks, David. Appreciate being on the uh, podcast and sharing all of the all of your stories and your knowledge, your expertise, and and um, with all of the listeners and anyone oh. out there.
1: That's Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Looking forward to to people checking out Blue Mohole Capital, following our story, and and I'm very, very easy to reach. I'm on social media. You can fill out our contact form, and I, I share the journey. I'm not here to pretend that it's been easy. I want to help people avoid the mistakes I made. You can make some new mistakes, and then teach me about your mistakes.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, David.